1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. When we talk about Christmas, when I think about Christmas, when I think about the whole thing that we celebrate, you get the nativity scene, you have the, you know, you have the, um, the Christmas tree, and you have the, um, you know, all of the um, decorations, and, and all the stress of putting those decorations up. Have you guys had any stress putting up decorations? But um, <clears throat> we think about that. Uh, I like to look at the, what is the core? What is the core of our Christmas message? What is the core of what we're celebrating? And I know that we go through this every year. I know that people talk about this all the time. Uh, the distraction that, that we face in our American cultures. Actually, I was sharing with a <clears throat> David and Amanda before that it's really, it's really interesting that... Um, you can go to a Muslim country, right? Muslim country. You can go to Western, you can go to the Western part of China, which is all Muslim. And you can um, go to a place where it's illegal to meet publicly and have a Bible and to preach Christ in the street. But you can go and you can um, see Santa and you can see Rudolph and you can see Christmas trees and you can see uh, the whole, the whole can see the whole scene you can see the whole scene of the christmas world and for me that is just so shocking because how far can we get go and be be, be just be disconnected from the focus the real focus of um christmas you know don't guys don't worry about the sound system just let's just focus on uh on the word here. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here is John, the apostle. He's the last apostle to be alive. He is on the island of Patmos. He's been deemed mad. He's been de- deemed insane. He's been sent to the Isle of Patmos. He's been boiled in oil. He's been suffering for his faith. And his mission, his calling in the last days, uh, is to preach Christ in a Gnostic environment. Now, what does Gnostic mean? Gnosticism basically is a philosophy that teaches, that holds that Christ only came in a spirit and did not have a physical body. Now that has incredible ramifications because if we were to believe today that only Jesus came in spirit and he didn't come in the physical body, then that would have huge ramifications for our salvation and for Christmas. Incarnation. Christ, that God be, the fact that God became man, he became human, is really what we're celebrating for Christmas. Sometimes people say to me, sorry, I can't be there physically, but I'll be there in spirit. Our pastor used to say, well, we don't want your spirit here. Send your spirit home. Just come in person. <laughs> we don't want that spirit in our midst. And if Christ was to come in spirit only, that means that he would have died on the cross and that he would have only been able to save angels. That his salvation would have been only in a, uh, in a spirit form. But Christ came in flesh. We said this last week that, that the humility of Christ was so amazing that, that the devil could not even imagine that God would come in human form, humble himself as a, as, a, as a human being, and come and be incarnated into this world. The devil was totally flabbergasted. He, he, didn't even, he could not even comprehend that God would stoop so low because gods don't do that. If you look at the pantheon of gods in the Greek, in the Greek world and in the Hindi world, uh, gods don't suffer from human beings. They don't, have, they don't care about what's happening with human beings. 
Actually, human beings are supposed to serve them. They're supposed to bring them food, and they're supposed to tend to the temples. But the incarnation is in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. And John is writing this about firsthand experience with, with uh, Jesus Christ. Now, one commentator says that this is not some nostalgic, sentimental reminiscence of Christ. This is actually... This, the language in the Greek here is language of a deposition. This is a court hearing. This is John raising his right hand saying, I am a witness. And for the legal record, he's saying this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that's what we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon and our, high, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Okay, so he's, he's this is Ptolemaic, which means like he is fighting this Gnostic teaching that's seeping into the church. The number one enemy of the church today is what? What would you say the number one enemy of the church today is? I would say it's Gnosticism. It's a revival of Gnosticism, meaning that you can have an ideal without the experience. You can have a philosophy and not have any practical experience. You can have a belief system, but not have any experience in, in your reality. And he's saying, we've experienced Christ and we're declaring this to you. But how is he declaring it? He's saying this. He said that you may have fellowship with us. This is Gnosticism claimed that this is some secret esoteric religion that only the initiated can be a part of. You have to jump through all of these hoops and then we'll fellowship with you. Do you see that today in Christianity? I do. Oh, hey, you're great. We're going to celebrate you as long as you're jumping through our hoops. And as soon as you stop doing that, no more fellowship, no more text messages, no more, no more interaction because we are part of, a, of an esoteric group. This is not what we see in Christian fellowship. This is not what we see in Christ. And he said that you may also have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. What's the joy of Christmas? The joy of Christmas is the fact that God came in human human flesh. Now, what does that mean to us? And why is Christmas so hard? I want to just talk about two things this morning. And I want to talk about, um, number one, I want to just talk about idealism. I'm sorry, this is, hopefully this is not a too too much of a a brain-breaking message. But I want to talk about idealism versus what we experience in the real. Okay, idealism. And we are told that, Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of the year. <laughs> We're told that Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of the year. <laughs> My son's wondering why he can't. <laughs> We're told that Christmas for Christians should be the happiest time of the year, right? The cries of the baby in the background. And an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with the family, friends, and colleagues. Yet at the National Institute of Health, okay, says that this is the hardest time. This is, the high, this is, the, this is, when, de- this is when depression peaks. And this is when there's a high, a high incidence of, of suicides. And they actually have a name for this disorder. It's called, the, it's called SAD. It's called Seasonal Affective Disorder. Isn't that crazy? What is the cause of this? Well, it's the frustration index. When you have an ideal, and I think Chris was really hitting on this very well in his, in his message. By the way, <clears throat> Chris and I and the worship team, we're not really talking about what we're going to be preaching. 
And it's just always so cool to see how God just kind of weaves it all together in the service on Sunday morning. The, the cause is, is the frustration index, which is this, is when we live in some idealistic idea of what is happiness and what happiness looks like, when we live in the romance of Christmas, you know, there's a romance of Christmas, isn't there? There's the Hallmark Channel. There's the dark blue pictures of the, of the snowy evenings. And there's Santa Claus. This is what I was thinking about this morning. How is it for us in Texas? There's no snow. There's no, there's no big jolly man walking around in a red suit, except for the mall, with sleigh bells and with, with reindeer and, and a sleigh. Like, is that weird or what? Is that just out of this world? Is that, is that, is that, is that, is that mythology? That just seems like to me mythology. And here's it's this idyllic, idealistic sense that creates a distance between the ideal and my personal experience. I don't have all the parts for my roaster. This is what a roaster looks like. This is what a cool hip roaster looks like. And I know what you're feeling. I'm dealing with these <clears throat> parts that I have to pull together and I have to put together in some kind of, this is what a true business looks like. This is what a successful individual looks like that's the ideal but then there's the real and this is what causes so much suffering and i want to i want to make this point all suffering comes from ideals okay think about that for a second okay all suffering in our relationships in our marriages in our families with our kids in our businesses with personal relationships come when we have some kind of ideal that's not from god it's an ideal. What's an ideal? It's this perfect sense of the way things should be in the perfect utopia, the world, that there's no failure, there's no sin. Eden was an idea. It was, the, it, was, it was reality. It was the idealistic reality. It was the kingdom of God on earth until Adam sinned. And so the ideal, we can bring this ideal into our Christianity. We can bring this ideal into Christmas. We can bring this ideal into situations where it's supposed to be like this, but this is where I'm at. And it's causing anxiety, and it's causing me stress. It's causing me, it's causing me uh, depression. It's causing me all of these things. How many know what I'm talking about? When you have a concept, when you have an ideal, people get married, they think it's going to be like this, and then it's like this. Wow. You know, idealism versus experience. And what that, that creates a vacuum. Like... You know what the vacuum is? Like, there's the ideal, the way I think it's supposed to be. We jump into something, we think it's going to be like this, and then it's not like this, but it's like this. And that creates a vacuum, right? It creates this empty space. It creates this place where, where this, it's just the howling sounds of winds and loneliness. And what fills that space? Something's got to fill that space. Because the laws of nature are that, that every vacuum needs to be filled with something. And there can be no true vacuum. So what fills that vacuum? Frustration, anger, <laughs> blame. You know, it's their fault or it's the situation's fault. And, and so I have never seen this so real as during this, the Christmas season when you have the jolly, happy music in the mall and then you have people fighting to get into line. You know, fighting over a parking space. You know what I'm saying? Or like... You're at home and you're setting up the decorations and it's, well, you got the Christmas music going in the background and you're fighting about the ornaments. <laughs> you're just, you know what I'm talking about? Isn't this weird? Isn't this crazy? I don't know if it is for you, but for me, we live in this frustration index because, because we're not living what we thought it was going to be like. We thought it was going to be like this, but it's not. And then we enter into all that. We, we live in frustration. We live in the blame game. And so what is... 
the enemy's attack on Christmas. The enemy's attack on Christmas is more than the word Christmas and Xmas. I mean, that's, that's a battle, yeah. Would put Christ, don't take Christ out of Christmas. Yes, that's true. But it's way deeper than that. It's way deeper than that. Because the gospel and Christmas means that God came in flesh. And I want to talk about what that means in a minute. The world system and the devil are constantly fighting the true gospel in the, Christ, in the Christmas story. Christmas has become so commercialized that it's like a Disney movie. A magic Gnostic fantasy, which is totally unrelatable to the common person. This is a big point here, is that like, like Christ did not come on the scene and present something to him that is totally unrelatable. That was the law of Moses. The law of Moses came in, it was very idealistic. It's holy, it's sacred, but it, made, it created such an, un- an unrelatable reality that the law says this, and this is my experience, okay? The gospel is, is that, is that Christ came, God came in human flesh in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. And so we face this romantic, sappy kind of Christmas spirit, which, which portrays something that is so unrelatable to the common person. I mean, you sit and you can watch the Hallmark movies about this man, a young man, beautiful young man, beautiful young woman, and they just have these crises, and then you can always, always figure out the plot to these movies. And they, and they, they have these crises, and they meet in these innocent circumstances, and then they get married, and then life is happy ever. But then, like, you know, the, the movies never show, like, day number 422 in the marriage, or, like, what's going on down the road, you know? It's this idealistic picture of the way it should be. So what makes Christmas so hard? I just want to say a couple practical things that we could just really be, that we can be aware of during this Christmas season. Number one, conflicts can, what makes Christmas so hard? I think conflicts that can be, that can be created that are from unrealistic expectations. Just be mindful of that because when you get into family situations, you're going to be facing um, expectations from your family and for your family. And they can be, these can become ideals, and people are going to always fail ideals. Because ideals are something that we need to trust God for people. And it's like, if we're trusting God in Psalm 62 for, for, for waiting on the Lord, like Chris was saying, we're not going to be moved when people fail us, or when people fail our expectations, or when we fail the expectations of other people. Do you know the, stuff, the suffering that's caused in a person's life when they come to you and there's an ideal in their mind about what you're supposed to be? That's really crazy. That's not fun, is it? That's very painful. Here's another thing that really makes Christmas hard is, and so if you're going to be with people that have expectations for you or that are negative about you, before you meet, go into those circumstances, make sure that you build yourself up in who you are in Christ. Build yourself up in who you are in Christ, okay? The second thing I think is just excessive self-reflection. When you're thinking about, like when we get together for Christmas, I think it's easy for us to look at other family members and say, wow, they are so successful. What happened to me? You know, or people can do that to you. They can look at you and they can say, you're so successful, but I'm such a mess. And if they're, if somebody is looking at you like that and they're, we need to talk, we need to speak into that. We need to like address that and say, you know something, that's not how God measures us. Okay. Here's another thing is that when, um, when we look at the way the world has identified Christmas and the commercialization of it, and this is the way it's supposed to look, then that can create this, 
that can create this pressure that we're supposed to spend a lot of money on gifts and on social events. We need to live in the simplicity, just live in the simplicity of giving. The, the meaning of Christmas is that God, came, God so loved the world that he came into flesh, physical flesh, and he gave. You know what the meaning of Christmas, and you know what, how, we can, um, how we can escape the excessive commercialization of Christmas is live in that self-sacrifice. When we're sacrificing, we're laying down our lives for people because of who they are in Christ. And then I think the last thing, and this is in no way a total list, but I think that people can feel very lonely at Christmas because they have suffered the loss of loved ones, or they've lost their job, or they're facing some, they're facing some real difficult situations. And I think we need to be aware of that. And when we're aware of that, then we can, we can be in a place where we can minister to people. What, and I, I want to just I wanna focus on this here. What makes Christmas so amazing? Well, I think, and there's three reasons. Number one, like God became human. And what does that mean? That, that we have a remarkable resource in the face of suffering and pain. I think that one of the things that we're not talking about during Christmas time is pain. We're not talking about pain. We're not talking about suffering. Who wants to talk about that? It's supposed to be the happiest time of the year. I'm sorry to pour water on the, you know, to be such a downer about Christmas, but we got people that are walking down the streets, that are driving on the highway, and you can tell by the way they drive, that are really suffering. They are in a lot of pain. They are suffering deep suffering. And maybe some of us are suffering deeply. And you know what makes Christmas so amazing? Is that we have such a resource that God came in the flesh and that this is such a resource for us because the Bible never gives us an exhaustive reason or an exhaustive answer for the big question, why? Did you ever ask that question, why? I mean, I ask it every day. You know, I asked, asked it this morning. Why, God? <laughs> why? Why this? God's not going to answer really that question. There's never really an exhaustive answer to that question. Why? Because the question is so big, it's going to take for eternity for us to really discover the answer. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7, it's like that the, the ages of the, the grace of God would be revealed to us age after age. And if, if God tried to answer that big question, why, we'd probably explode because we could not contain the answer. Here's the way it works. Job is asking that question the whole time. And then when does the answer come? At the end. The answer comes when you, you and I go through the trial, when we go through the pain and the hardship. And on the other side of it, we may get an answer. But what's the answer? God does. He doesn't really give us the answer for the big question why, but he always speaks volumes about, uh, about, about the who. It's not the why in our life, but it's the who. Christmas is about the who. It's about Jesus Christ. And, and it's like when we ask that question why, you know, when we discover we have cancer or someone has cancer that we love or we are struggling with something or, or like, you know, there's a family, and I, I, I mentioned this before, but they've been through so much suffering. And you, know, and you know how you meet people and then you become friends with them on Facebook? And I'm just talking, I'm not talking about people here, so please don't think I'm talking about you. But when you, when you, when you, just, when you hear their story and then you go on Facebook and see their life on Facebook, that's the ideal, isn't it? Be happy, you know. I gotta post pictures to portray that I'm having a great time in my life, that my business is doing great, that all everything's going, that my fatherhood's going great. But then when we discover, like when we get home, we're like, you know, we're just we're just tearing apart, we're tearing our hair out and everybody else's hair out. Why? Because we live in this suffering and we live in this idealism that is so destructive, and I do it myself. I do that all the time. I mean, I'm you know, I'm 
I, I'm the person that, because my makeup is very ideal. I like, I, I'm very idealistic. I, I love concepts. I love idealistic. That's the way I'm made. And, um, but that's not who I am in Christ. And so what really is, is so encouraging to us is that when we ask that big question, why, God's going to give us the answer who. He's going to give us a person. And you know something? When we walk through these hard times, guess what? We're never alone. We're walking through, we're walking through these, you know, we're, we're never alone. And you may find yourself, like, being torn apart, you know, your life may be being ripped apart, but you know, there's, we, t- we say Christmas presents, like, to us, here, we're talking about Christmas presents, the presence of Christ. And we walk through these situations, and Christ never leaves us, and never forsakes us. Last night, I was driving home from the prayer meeting, going to Trader Joe's, and I was just like, oh, I was just, I was like in heaven. I was so stirred up. And if you couldn't be there, don't worry about it. But I was so stirred up. I was so encouraged. I just felt the flow of prayer. I felt the flow of God. I felt like everything's okay. And then I got to Trader Joe's and, and reality hit me. <laughs> Trader Joe's prices. <laughs> but I was just thinking like, you know, the incarnation just gives us this resource. Why? Because he gives his personal presence to us in suffering. I remember in Ukraine, I was living there young pastor, just getting off, just starting. We had brought, I brought a guest speaker uh, to the airport that had visited us and we were waiting there. And he had just gone through, you know, that passport control. And that's the time when you turn around, you're supposed to walk out, right? But as I'm walking out, I hear this, someone's like crying out, like crying profusely, like really loud. And this is a Ukrainian airport, very small. So it looks like the, the, it was about the size of this gym, actually. And so this woman, I look in the corner, and there's this elderly woman, older woman, that's just crying. And then there's this man on the floor. And I'm looking like, what's going on? Everybody starts running over there, and there's this crowd of people. And what had happened was that her husband had just dropped dead after 52 years of marriage. And I I walk over there, and I'm looking at the scene, and I'm like, I mean, what do you do, you know? And everybody, and then they're waiting for the ambulance to come. And, you know, this is Ukraine. This is... At that time, it's so third world that they could, you, you could really expect about 45 minutes to an hour wait for the ambulance to come. So at that time, you know, this gentleman, he passes away. And so everybody kind of just starts walking away. And there's this woman, and she's just like kneeling next to her husband. And I, I said, God, what do I do here? And at that moment, you really don't have a lot of words. You don't have a lot to say. You're young. you got a lot of knowledge. you got a lot of energy for God. But there's nothing really that you can say. And you know what God showed me? He showed me, do what Job's friends did. At least they hung out. So I just went over, put my arm over the, on, on the woman's shoulder, and I just said a couple words, like, God is with you. God is here. And she, I don't even know if she, was, she, was, she knew that I was there. She was, so over, she was so distraught with the loss of her husband in 52 years. And I said, I gave her my card later, and I said, if there's anything that we can do, call me. She called us, and we had an opportunity to minister to her. You know, I think that there's a lot, you know, the story of Job, when you reread the book of Job, there's not a lot of doctrinal teaching going on there, is there? There's not a lot of like, hey, do that, Job, do this. It, it's, it's all about suffering. And it's all about the, pro- and what, I think Job is one of the most educational books, but you don't see teaching going on there. There is teaching, but what I see in the book of Job is the presence of God in Job's life, God's presence, God's presence. I was saying last night to the group at the, at the prayer meeting, I said, what I really desire for our church is nothing else but just the presence of Christ. And if we have the anointing, if we have the presence of God in our midst, we're good. That's great. 
That's really good, and that's awesome. I think the second thing that really makes Christmas so amazing is that God became human, and so we shouldn't get too impressed with it too impressed with the glitz and the glitter and the physical beauty and the status and the achievement of power. You know, we live in the woodlands. We're in the woodlands here, and there's a lot of that, isn't there? It's just all... I mean, you got Ferraris driving down the streets. You got... I saw a Bentley SUV at my, in my parking lot where I was working. Baby blue color. I was like, I've never seen that color before. I mean, there's just so much glitter and so much glitz in this world that we live in. But when Jesus came, it says in the book of Isaiah that he wasn't comely to look upon. Like when you look at somebody and and your eyes fall on their beauty or like on their comeliness or handsome, it's easy to look at that person. But Jesus was not like that. Jesus was not like this stud to look at. I mean, mean, you look at him, I don't know if even he was the cutest kid. You know, I don't even know if he was a cute baby. I don't know. We don't even know what that, we don't even know what that looks like. But it says that Jesus did not come in comeliness. There was nothing about him that was like a head turner. And that's the book of Isaiah. Isaiah says that. And so what does that mean to us? It means the incarnation means that God was willing to empty himself as of glory, his beauty, his handsomeness, his ability, and to live humbly as a servant. That means, among other things, that he became so extraordinary in appearance. I think he, I think he just became so ordinary. You look at him, he's like, that's Jesus? Like, we would have been so surprised. We, I think we would have been disappointed in our American culture. So that means that we should not, as believers during Christmas, be so impressed by the glitz and the glitter. It's just, Christmas is ordinary. It's just ordinary. It's just the ordinary Christ. It's the Christ in our midst. And then lastly, what makes Christmas so amazing is that, and this is, this is an incredible philosophical, theological thing to meditate on. If, you ever, if you're that kind of person, you'd like to think about things, Think about this. God, who was spirit, right, was made manifest in matter, in, in, in physical flesh. Matter. Atoms. Uh, the, the mass, right? And he came, and the Gnostics, they, they were, the way they believed was that anything that was physical was dirty, was unholy, it wasn't sacred. It was gross. Don't touch that. You're going to you get, you know, get the hand wipes out. You know, it's like, this is, this is just taboo. And the fact that Jesus was manifest in, 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 in flesh and that he was like, had a heart pumping blood and he, he, was, he was susceptible to hunger and to pain and he was susceptible to temptation, though he never sinned. And he was susceptible to all the things that we suffer. And he's a carpenter. I'm sure that he banged his hand, that he gets splinters in his fingers. I don't know. But he was, in all points, tempted like us. But he was in this physical body. And you know what this means? And this is so awesome. And I just want us to get this before we go. Is that God came in matter. And, that, and so matter matters to us. Physical things can be sacred to us. Does that, does that make sense? That means that our belongings, our life, our physical body is sacred. It's sacred. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we live in it. And so the matter is it's so sacred. I think that when we celebrate Christmas and it's so easy to get so involved with the spiritual part of it, to the, 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 that fantasical part, but, we, but to, to, to leave aside the sacredness of, of, of the physical world that God has given us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, that, that this means that, that God has a plan for you and I 
to rule in this life through the grace of God and the gift of righteousness. And so that's the point that I want to leave us with this morning. We rule in this life not through idealistic concepts, nor do we just walk around in failure and say, well, it is what it is. And, and, and I don't really agree with that so much, that philosophy. But we walk around saying, let me declare to you who Christ is. Because we've touched him. We've experienced him. He's touched us. We have, we have interaction with him. We have direct contact with Christ. And that's what we're ministering to people during this Christmas season. We are manifesting an invisible God in a visible situation. That means that, that means when I'm depressed or when I'm disappointed, or when my relatives push all the wrong buttons, I want to reveal Christ to them. I want to communicate Christ to them. I want to, I want to communicate the laying down of my life as a, an agape love, because that is when Christ is revealed. And when Christ is revealed, then we have hit the target for Christmas. Amen? So let's just close in a prayer and, and finish up. Lord, we just thank you, God, that you've become human that you have taken the ideal, the heavenly ideal, perfection, righteousness, and you have penetrated that. And you've you've penetrated our real life experience. Or maybe we are not experiencing uh, the greatest things that we'd like to be experiencing. Maybe we're disappointed. Maybe we are experiencing a measure of disillusionment. God, we look at Christmas. We look at the great ideal of happiness, Lord, yet... In our private life, we don't want to really tell anybody that we're secretly not happy. So God, we want to celebrate your presence in our life. We want to celebrate that you have never, that you will not leave us, that you will not forsake us, that you, like a, like a quiet friend, walk with us. You're not quiet, you're speaking to us, but you would never leave us nor forsake, forsake us. We thank you for that grace. We thank you for that presence. Lord, And during this Christmas season, that we would exercise your presence in our midst, Lord. That we would not live in concepts and ideals of the way things should be, but we would just celebrate the presence of Christ in our midst. We thank you, God, for that. Lord, we just pray, God, for um, Masood as he's recovering. Lord, we pray for uh, Josh, Lord, as he's also recovering. God, we pray for those that are sick among us, Lord, those that are on the road those that are visiting family, God, that you would just endow us with the, with the anointing of your presence, God. We thank you, Lord, that we can live in communion with you, that fellowship with one another during this Christmas season. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. Let's just stand and sing one more song and then... Um,